Well, today I am excited to dive into our new series. This week, my goal is just to really help lay a foundation for what God is going to do over the next few weeks. Um, And so this morning, I really thought, man, as I was preparing, how timeless this message is, right? I don't know about you, but there have been seasons in my life where I have struggled with my thinking. Anybody else? Anybody else, anybody else ever struggled with having peace in their mind? Anybody else ever struggled with hopelessness, discouragement? Come on, anybody else just been plain stressed out, (laughs) overwhelmed? And as I was preparing, I thought it was so interesting because we really live in a time where a majority of us have access to more than we ever have had before. We have access to more stuff. Come on, more entertainment. We have access to more events and more activities than ever before. But here's what I believe too. I also believe that we are more sad, that we're more depressed, more anxiety-filled, more worried, more fearful than we have ever been before. And by the world standard, that would be considered normal. Right? If you go and tell the world, hey, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling worried, I'm feeling stressed, they say that's a normal reaction to everything that life has thrown at us. That's how you're supposed to react. But what I want you to get this morning is that there is a different way to live your life, that there is hope. We don't have to live feeling stressed out and worried about everything. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to give tools that will help us uncover the lies of the enemy and replace them with God's truth. This message series is actually based off of a book by Craig Groeschel. He is a pastor um, for Life Church in Oklahoma. They actually have churches all across the nation. He wrote this book and released it last February. So if you're like, I'm ready to go all in, I want to win the war in my mind, you want to go a little bit deeper, want to encourage you, you can grab a copy of his book. He also has a great podcast called the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast. And so you can get all of his resources online. There's so many great ones available to you. But before we dive in, I do want to just open us up in prayer. Father God, that I thank you for today. Father, we welcome you in this place. God, we open our hearts to what you want to speak to us this morning. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that chains will be broken as your word goes forth and that you will have your way in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we learn how to win the war in our mind, the the story that we're going to be referencing over the next four weeks is the story of the Apostle Paul. And so for those of you who are not familiar with the story of the Apostle Paul, um, um, we meet Paul after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus has ascended back into heaven, and his disciples are now commissioned to go out and take the gospel to the world. But, But when we meet Paul... Paul is actually doing the exact opposite of going out and spreading the gospel to the world. Paul is actually going out and persecuting Christians. He is doing everything he can to prevent people from hearing Jesus's gospel. And so so that is how Paul's journey begins. But on one day, Paul is on the road to Damascus and he has an encounter with Jesus. His life is radically changed. He's converted in that moment, and he spends the rest of his life sharing the love of Christ with other people. 
But, but what we would assume is that when he came to know Jesus, that everything got easy. How many of you know that was absolutely not true? In fact, he spent the rest of his life fighting to bring the gospel to other people. And I'm just going to list out a few of the things that he experienced as I was studying. I was like, this list just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. But on five different occasions, he experienced 40 lashings. That's 40 lashings, 40 times five for all my mathematicians, 200 on different occasions. He was beaten with a rod three different times. He was stoned and survived. Stoning was usually a death sentence. Stoned one time, they actually dragged him out of the city, thought he was dead. He survived. He was shipwrecked three times, bitten by a snake, jailed robbed, persecuted. And I think it's so funny that we think we have it so hard. And yet, despite all of that, Paul never gave up. In Philippians, he writes, I pressed on towards the goal of what was ahead of me. In the midst of all of his hardship, Paul made great impact in this world. He visited and trained countless churches and countless church leaders. He raised up new apostles. He wrote almost half of the New Testament. For us, he pressed on towards the goal. And so as I studied this, I was actually like reading and I'm like, man, he experienced a lot. And my biggest question was, what Kool-Aid was Paul drinking? Like, what was this man, how was he able to do all this? Because the truth is, I know if it was me, had I experienced just one of those things, I would have been done. (laughs) Done. And yet he kept going. He kept pressing forward. How was he surviving when the world was throwing everything it had at him? And he reveals his secret. And this is going to be our theme verse over the next four weeks. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, everybody say, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You see, Paul recognized something that so many of us struggle with. He recognized that the battles we face in life have much more to do with our minds than we realize. And let me tell you that our minds move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our minds move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So I actually have a pop quiz for you this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to try to evaluate here in this room what direction your mind is leading you in, all right? So I have a couple pictures. The team's going to throw the first one up here on the screen. The first is a spilled basket of lemons. And this is what I think. I think about half of the people in this room look at the spilled basket of lemon and say, yes, I'm about to make some sweet Lemonade, come on somebody. Pulling out grandma's old recipe, like it's about to go down. That's a lot of lemons too, so I can get lemonade for the entire neighborhood. It's gonna be good. And then I think there is another group of people that look at this spilled basket of lemonade, or lemon, and say, who spilled the basket? Because now I have to clean up 
their mess, come on, and then who is going to carry that basket inside? Because once the lemons are all inside the basket, that's going to be pretty heavy. Two different sides to think about this. Look at the next picture. We all know this one. The glass is either half full or it's half empty. Two different ways. And then this last one. This, <laughs> this is actually the forecast from last week. And I thought this was pretty funny because I was like, we could see this in a lot of different ways. I think for some of us in this room, all we saw last week were ruined plans and a headache trying to get our kids to and from school in the rain. And my thing is, listen, I don't care what you have to do. I don't care if you've got to put bags on your shoes or stand out in the rain. Do not get mud in my car. And then I think there's another group of people who see this forecast or saw this forecast. And what did y'all think? Come on. That is the rain, our grass, so desperately needed so that I don't have to put the sprinkler out anymore. And all my dads in the house said amen and amen and amen. So how did you score? Was the glass half full? Were you excited about the prospect of rain? Or were you stressing about that weight of that lemon basket? Were you staring daggers in your waiter because they could not tell that you were thirsty and your glass was going to be empty very, very soon? You see, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And negative thinking will often direct our lives in a way that we never wanted it to go. And unfortunately, the, the sad thing is that a lot of us struggle with this negative thinking. The National Science Foundation actually put out a study. Pastor Jim has this in his book, Unstuck and Unstoppable. It says that the average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts every single day. And of those thousands of thoughts, 12 to 60,000, 80% were negative. 80%. So let that sink in. 80% of people saw a heavy basket of lemons and no hope for what would become of them. 80% saw that glass half empty. 80% saw that rain forecast and thought all my plans are ruined. No opportunity, just frustrating days for the entire week. And the thing is, in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, for as he thinks in his heart, what does it say? So is he. You see, when we spend our time thinking about these things, when we think, I will never get out of debt, when we think school is too hard, I'll never understand the content, when we think all of my relationships are complicated, when we think I will never be healthy, the more we say it, the more we are stuck in a vicious cycle of negative thinking. 
I think about my six-month-old, Miss Mia Lee Garza. She is absolutely perfect in every way. And, and one of the things that I forgot when it comes to raising kids, raising new babies, um, is, is that there's one game that they absolutely love to play. Um, I had to relearn this over the past few weeks. She's getting older, getting a little bit more active. And the game is not peekaboo. The game is drop everything you see on the floor over and over and over again. And there's some people in this room who are like, those babies are just developing. I think not. I think they know. And let me tell you why. Because <laughs> when my six-month-old is playing with something on the large high chair table that she has, that girl will look me dead in my eyes with the teeny tiny toy she has in her hand and drop it on the floor. It takes effort. Like they are doing it on purpose. And then they have the audacity to then look at you and expect that you would go and pick it up, put it back on the table so that they can do it all over again. And the problem is, not only do they do it with toys, but all my parents with little ones right now, you know what they do it with too? Food! My goodness! Food! On my floor! All the time! So now, every time I give my baby something, the truth is, I just expect it. I expect that it's going to end up on the floor. Right? I expect that I am going to play this constant game of bending down and picking it up so long as she is in that high chair. But the truth is, I think a lot of us live just like this. I think a lot of us live expecting things to fall. I think a lot of us live expecting things to be bad. And let me tell you this, the more we think it, the more we expect it, the more we brace for it, the more it happens. Our marriages don't get better. Our finances continue to struggle. Our health does not improve. Listen, you cannot have a positive life when you have a negative mind. But this is what I want you to know this morning. That God did not intend for us to be trapped in negative thinking and feelings of hopelessness and discouragement. Actually, the promise of God is that we would have abundantly more. He wants more for us than we could ever imagine, and he wants us to be full of joy and peace and patience and happiness. John 10.10 says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Another translation says that they would have life more abundantly. He wants our marriages and our relationships to thrive. He wants our finances to be secure. He wants us to be emotionally healthy and whole. He wants our children to succeed. And this is what I know. That's why we're doing this series, because all of that starts in our minds. So the question is this morning, how? How do we take steps to win the war in our mind? I'm just going to give you a few tools this morning, and hopefully these tools will help lay a foundation. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack these in more depth. The first one is, we have to know that we are in a spiritual battle. Listen, if you don't get anything else this morning, 
We have to know that we are in a spiritual battle. I heard this a long time ago and it stuck with me. And, and honestly, I probably say it too much, but I think it's so important. I always say that everything is more spiritual than we think it is. Everything is more spiritual than we think it is. I know some people are like, Jolea, you are literally doing the most. Like some things are just happening in the natural. But I'm telling you, those arguments that you're having, the issues that you're having, the financial hiccup that you're having, it is more spiritual than you think it is. Let me give you I'm going to prove it. I am going to prove it. So, so let me give you a couple of scriptures to show you where in God's word he says this and how true it is. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That's humans. That's people. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. You see, the problem is that sometimes we don't recognize that the enemy is actively trying to leave us feeling hopeless and discouraged. This scripture says that we are not fighting against what we can only see in the natural. We're not just fighting against the hardships that we face. We're not fighting against the broken relationship. We're not fighting against the financial issues. We are fighting against spiritual worlds that we cannot see. John 10, 10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He is after you. First Peter 5, 8 says be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I even want to speak just directly to the believers this morning. Because you see, if you're a believer... What we know is that the enemy knows he cannot take away our salvation. He can't take away the sacrifice that Jesus made when he died for us on the cross. But what he can do is he can keep us from living out the calling that God has for our lives. That is why we can have so many Christians walking around living defeated. That's why sometimes when we expect things to get easier, they actually get harder because the enemy is after our destiny. He is after what God has called and appointed and anointed those in this room to accomplish. And so if he can keep us defeated, we will live our entire lives stuck in our mind, feeling stressed out. Come on. Feeling sad. Feeling worried. So self-consumed that we do not do what we are called to do, which is go out into the world and spread the love of God to those that are broken and hurting and in need of a savior. Half the battle is knowing that you are in a battle. That is why there are books called Winning the War in Your Mind. There are books called The Battlefield of the Mind because the enemy is actively after our thought life. And here's what the enemy knows. He knows that if he can control how we think, he can control how we live. If he can control how we think, he can control how we live. It is more spiritual than we think it is. Number two, so once we've gotten that, once we have identified and understand that we are actually in a war, that there is somebody that is actively after our mind, actively after our lives. The second thing that we can do is we can identify 
the lies that we are believing. Listen, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. I'm going to say that again. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. I have a great example of this. I love to swim. I'm sure we have kids in here and, and even adults in here that love to go swimming. But for all my parents in the house, there's one thing that we know. There is one unspoken rule that we all know, and is that after you eat, how long do you have to wait before you get back into the pool? Oh, I heard one hour. I was saying 30. We're doing 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Yes, 30 minutes is how long you have to wait before you get into a pool. And for my entire life, I have lived based off of that rule. And my problem is, listen, I have lost a lot of hours of swimming because your girl wanted to eat. And I have also lost a lot of hours of eating because I wanted to swim. But let me do something for you this morning. I'm here to break you free and tell you this morning that the thought that you have to wait 30 minutes to go swimming after you eat is a myth. Busted for you this morning. I set you free. You can leave now. It's a myth based off of an idea that when you eat, when your body has to digest food, it needs all of your energy to digest that food, which means you can't get back into the water because your muscles won't have enough energy to function. Totally untrue. A lie believed impacting our lives and our decisions as if it were the truth. And if that lie worked, I wonder how many lies you have believed about your own life. Think about the lies you've believed about yourself, that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, maybe that you're too much. Those are lies of the enemy. Think about the lies surrounding your relationship that you can never trust anyone, that nobody cares about you, not even your spouse cares about you. Those are lies of the enemy. I wonder what lies you are believing today. You see, this is how it works. What the enemy knows is that he can help create thought paths in our mind. Thought paths are very similar to when we walk in grass. So let's say you take the same path through your grass every single day. What eventually happens is that there is now a nice little path in your grass that is easier and easier to walk through because you've walked it over and over again. The grass kind of folds down. You can see the path and you can walk through it super easily. The other illustration I thought of was dad's special chair in the living room, right? The more dad sits in that chair, the more we know that that is dad's chair, right? And the easier it is, the more comfortable it is for him to sit in that chair. That's how our thoughts work. So we create thought paths based off of lies, and everything that we respond to, every time something happens, every time we face a hardship, it gets easier and easier just to think and believe the lies that have been spoken or said over our lives. And so my question was, what lies are we believing this morning? I actually did some research, and I just wanted to read out a few of them to see if they maybe resonate here in the room for you guys. Here are some of the lies that people shared. 
You're not good enough, smart enough, or spiritual enough. You will always be broke. No one will ever love you. You will be forever alone. You don't need God. You can figure it out on your own. You've sinned too much. God will never forgive you, and you can't forgive yourself. You've gone too far. You don't need other people in your life. Fellowship is optional. I wonder if in this room one of those resonated with you. And the truth is, as I spoke it, you're like, oh, man, I actually do think that sometimes. The truth is, after a while, you didn't even realize you were having those thoughts at all. And maybe you're in this room, you're like, none of those spoke to me. I still want to help you. I want to help you uncover what lies the enemy has spoken over your life. And so when you go home today, there's a couple of words or trigger words I think you can look out for. The first is always and never. I always do this. I always get people in this situation. I always, I always fail my spouse. I always, I always mess up. I always let people down. Or never, I never have enough resources. I'll never have that business that I dreamed of owning. I'll never do this. I'll never accomplish that. Never and always statements are oftentimes rooted in lies that have kept us bound and trapped by the enemy. And so here's how, here's how we can replace the enemy's lies. Number three, or the last thing that we have to do is we have to replace the enemy's lies with God's truth. So going back to our theme verse in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, Take captive every thought and make it obedient to God. Every thought and make it obedient to God. But the thing is, we can't just take captive our thoughts. We also have to replace it with something. And we replace our thoughts with God's truth. The Greek word, a Greek translation for the word captive means to capture by sword or by spear. And the truth is, we don't have physical swords or spears, but guess what? We do have a sword. Come on. You know what it is? The word of God. And so we use the word of God to combat the lies of the enemy. In John 8, 32, it says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I want to give you an example of how this works. How do we replace the lies of the enemy with God's truth? We're going to use scripture. So we're going to go back to some of the lies that I just mentioned just a few minutes ago. You're not good enough, smart enough, or spiritual enough. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what that means is that you are good enough, that God has a plan for you, that he created you with purpose, and that you are good enough to accomplish what he has called you to do in your life. You don't need God. You can figure it out on your own. Matthew 19, 26, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Come on, we can't do it on our own. We were not made to do it on our own. We need our heavenly father every single morning to get us through the day. We need him. We need him. You sin too much. 
God will never forgive you and you cannot forgive yourself. You've gone too far. Psalms 103, 12 says, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I hope somebody gets that this morning. The person that has been dealing with shame for too long, I wanna break that in the name of Jesus right now. He doesn't even remember your sin. He loves you, he wants you, he has casted your sin as far as the east is from the west lies broken in the name of Jesus. You don't need other people in your life. First Thessalonians says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. We are called to be in relationship. We need each other. We need to lock arms. We need to do life together. That's why we gotta join small groups to get connected to a family of people that love Jesus and are on the same trajectory as we are, come on. These words, the words of God break chains. And they are the only words that will break the chains of the lies that the enemy has tried to keep you bound with. You will never win the war in your mind without God's truth. So what we're doing in this time is, what I just taught you to do is we're training our mind with truth. And there are a few things that we do when we train our mind with truth. And I'm just going to go through these really quickly. There are four things you can do. you got to speak it. Come on. We overcome by the words of our testimony. Come on. Words create worlds. you got to speak it out. Find a scripture. Speak it out. Write it. Put it down in a journal. Put it on a note card. Put it in your car. Put it on your mirror. Put it where you're, on your nightstand where you will see it every morning when you wake up. we got to text it. Send it to somebody. Ask them for accountability in what you're walking through and what you're trying to overcome. And then we have to repeat it. Come on. Speak it. Write it. Text it. Repeat it. And when you do that, when you allow the truths to change your thinking, God will begin to break chains off of your life that you never thought would be broken. So as we close, I do want to just give you just a little bit of homework that I want you to come back with next week. And I know y'all are like, man, Jalea, you got a pop quiz and homework. Come on. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to identify the biggest lie that the enemy has spoken over your life. This is going to take some work. You're gonna to have to get into a quiet place. You're probably gonna to have to ask God to reveal it to you because sometimes they're so deeply embedded that you wouldn't even know they exist. You're gonna to have to get connected maybe with some friends, some family members, some people that know you well and ask them to help you identify those lies in your life. The second thing is you need to get into your word and find out what God says about it. What does God say about the thing that you've been struggling with? And I'm going to give you a couple of quick, easy ways to do this. The first is that if you have your Bible and you're like, man, how in the world would I even begin to find what God says about my specific situation, the thing I'm walking through? Actually, if you go to the very back of most of your Bibles, there's something called a concordance. And what that concordance does is that it organizes all the scriptures based off of different topics. So if you're struggling with anger, you can go to your concordance, look up anger, and it'll list out every single place in the Bible where the Word of God talks about anger. And then you can go into your Bible, find those scriptures, and pick the ones that resonate with you. And I'm going to give you a super cheat code as well, because if that doesn't work, the other thing that you can do is Google it. Come on. 
scriptures about healthy marriages, scriptures about health in my body, scriptures about my children. Find words and find out what God says about the lies that have been spoken over your life. And then the third thing, super easy, just come back next week. We're going to unpack more. We're going to dive deeper. We're going to learn more about how to win the war in our mind.